This is the Wellfounder Podcast. All right. So welcome to the show, Alex. It's an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thank you, Chavi. Uh, I'd love, love to be here. I'm super excited for our conversation today. I am too. Like, uh, we're going to be talking about your company, which is privacy, which does something very, very cool. Very, very interesting. Like I was telling you, I never knew that you could, there's nothing you can't build a SaaS on these days, actually. <laughs> everything could be a SaaS, you know, yeah, so. Now that GPTs arrive, uh, like everything is possible. Everything. <laughs> I've been looking for how to uh, integrate GPT into my, <laughs> into my, our services. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, that's that, so cool. All right, then. So before we dive into the company itself, yeah, tell us a little bit about you and uh, the work you do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my, my background's in computer science. I'm a computer scientist by trade. Mm. Uh, I always had a passion for cybersecurity um, ever since I kind of like, I was a bit younger. I'm originally from Barcelona, I'm from Spain. And uh, in 2016, I moved to the UK. So I've been here for like uh, six, seven years now. Um, and essentially, I start, went to study computer science. That's where I met my co-founder. Uh, and I did a lot of uh, work in, in cyber and um, computer science in general. And after that, I kind of found my, my passion, which was in, in data protection. Um, so that's a little bit about, uh, about me. Um, computer scientist turned founder and I guess whatever the company needs. Um, yeah. Very interesting. I'm guessing you moved to London to pursue the, the, the uh, startup scene. Yeah. yeah so, okay. so I think, yeah, like, I think totally like London has in, in my experience, right. London has, uh, something that Spain doesn't have is that it's a much more mature ec ecosystem. Mm. Uh, you know, I think it's like 10 times the amount of venture capital oh, wow. goes through, uh, I think London that it goes through Spain, mm. uh, but it's Spain is definitely catching up and actually it's super, super awesome to go back. And, uh, we also have some investors which are Spanish. So we do have some links to that, uh, ecosystem and we see that it's been growing so much. And I, I really wanted to see it grow because, um, you know, being away from home is is uh is challenging um but yeah. it's also fun to be here in london yeah and better weather you know so <laughs> if it... the weather and the food are my two main caveats right? like um, but but yeah <laughs> i guess lo everyone says the same but london has something uh that keeps you here right? so i think true. it's the people i think it's the people i agree i agree it's the people with london yeah I, i'm always curious to know why this idea you know you could have solved any Sorry, because I solved any problem with your skills, but why this particular problem? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, the idea kind of didn't, we didn't look for the idea. I always think that, or, or thought kind of like uh, being an entrepreneur is not something that you want to be, right? Is that you just have some skills and like you are very curious about a certain area and that kind of like develops into you seeing a problem and being um, able to try to resolve that. Our idea came actually from a previous business. So my co-founder and I, Manu and I, uh, we met actually during our studies uh, at university. Mm. Um, and through that course, we kind of like started working together on projects, software projects on kind of like the curriculum of our, our degree. And we kind of started to see there was a good synergy there. And then we actually started a, a, a summer project, which was like a social network. And mm. one of the things that happened is that when I moved to the UK, I had to keep kind of like my Facebook and my social media open, right, to stay in touch with the people back home. Now, mm -hmm. 
that kind of rubbed me off the wrong way in the sense that I was, I know that my data was being exploited and the only use, let's say, that I saw to having those channels open was to keep in touch, right? So I wanted to fix that, mm. um, which is actually quite funny because Apple has just, uh, or is, is just going to release with an update the kind of company that we we're trying to build. But the idea was to build a social network where you can you know, connect with people forever and always stay in touch with them uh, where the data was stored in an intermediary that uh, you could trust so that the mm. data wasn't with Facebook or Instagram, right? That it was with, you know, uh, the intermediary and there you could share the data uh, on your conditions, on your terms. Mm. Now, that was super ahead of time. Um, and as of today, I still think that it's ahead, right? Uh, the B2C, the consumer kind of um, data protection kind of market is still quite young mm. um, in terms of value. But we did have to go through GDPR compliance, right? Like there was the whole idea. There was the whole idea of us building the product. It's like, let's do the right thing, right? Mm. Let's let's make sure people can trust us. So we had to go through that step. Mm. And at the time, we had no funding. Uh, we were basically at university, right? Like, but we ended up kind of getting all we had and like generating, you know, creating this this documents with consultants. And we realized that those documents in six months' time were not going to, you know, be suitable, right? Mm. Not a one set and forget thing you had to go updating it over time and that's where we kind of saw the problem right mm. we felt the problem for the first time and since then we've kind of like done we felt the problem in so many ways and also we kind of make sure that uh, we also experience our customers this problem as much as we can but um yeah so that's kind of like where the idea was born it really was just like another project which is like a summer project we wanted to build like a mobile app or whatever uh it was and then it kind of just morphed into you know, something that we started working towards, working towards, working towards, and uh, yeah, just never gave up. I think that's kind of like the definition of Manu, my co-father and I, is like we never gave up because it's been a number of years now. Uh, um, tell me about it. Yeah. yeah, very, very, that's that's such a cool story. That's just very, very cool. I like when it's all coming from uni. I mean, you, you could probably make a movie out of that, man, the story of uh, <laughs> privacy. Yeah. So, well, yeah, tell us more about privacy, though. What exactly do you guys do, just for our, our viewers that yeah, sure. certainly. I mean, we're a B2B SaaS that automates uh, complying with data protection regulation. Um, normally, that is the GDPR, right? But mm. there's actually many more regulations and what I like to call sister regulations to the GDPR that come into consideration when we're using personal data. Now, personal data is anything that identifies someone directly or indirectly. Mm. So, for example, uh, direct is, is very easy, like an email address, but indirect on this call, if I were to say, like, you know, cap we'd actually know that it's Chavi, right? So mm. we can identify Chavi indirectly. Uh, now, every single company processes personal data, a bit of its employees or of its customers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, essentially we help companies comply uh, and making sure that everything is, is always up to date and compliant. And the cool thing is that you don't need to be an expert to use the platform. Um, so that's kind of like the problem we solve for our customers. That's so cool because of GDPR was a big deal a couple of years ago, you know, with the whole European thing. I, I suspect, you know, like you were saying, that that would have kind of made you guys even more relevant and more uh, important as a solution like yours. So I think like, it, yeah, GDPR was enacted into, wow, it was kind of like proposed in 2016, mm. enacted, kind of came into law in 2018, mm. 25th of May. Um, but and a lot of like the big companies did a lot of work to try to get compliant by that date that it became effective. But mm. what we've seen since then is that 
those requirements have actually started to trickle down now. Mm. And we see uh, more SMEs getting questions about data protection um, on a more regular basis, um, which is our target customers. So that's kind of like the problem that we're looking to solve is for those companies that, you know, I mean, typical founder experience with data protection is we copied and pasted our policies from mm. our competitor or somewhere else, right? Mm. Change the name and so on. But it gets to a point yeah. where you no longer kind of like can make use of that, right? Mm. You need to professionalize. And that's where we can help uh, companies, you know, uh, comply with, with all, all those regulations. So um, I think consumer sentiment has also changed quite a bit since then. Um, and people are starting to be more and more kind of like conscious about this. I mean, we mm. see it on the news all the time. And I always think that that's, you know, the, the more you see something in the news, the more consumers care about it, right? Yeah. Like the journalists yeah. try to make sure that their articles are read. So that's how I see it at least. It makes sense. It makes sense. And I, I'm always curious as well, as in how did you, was there a moment where you knew this was going to be a, a business idea to pursue? Like in terms of validation, how did you validate the idea to, to go for it? a really good question, actually, um, because there's, there's one really good thing about being a technical founder, which is which means that you can you know you can make sure you can reduce the risk of your company um, by building it yourself or by hiring people that will build exactly what you tell them. Right? Mm. I see non-technical founders sometimes they struggle with this and it could cost a lot of money. Mm. And I'm gonna get back to the validation question, but this is my segue um, that that I, I'm going to. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's what happens, and that's actually unfortunately what Manu and I did. We built a product that nobody wanted. So how did we validate? Well, we got hit, slapped so many times in the wrist that we learned it the hard way. And actually, I was thinking about this the other day. It's like everyone tells you bootstrap. Right? Yeah. Everyone tells you, like, build your business on like a Google Sheet and a Google Drive, right? But, and, and they, and I was told, right? But I think that there are two things that people don't tell you. One is that you need what I what I call malleability. You have to be malleable. You have to, you know, you have to be very comfortable with the skills to make sure that you know you can bootstrap something really quick. Because bootstrapping is actually it's simple from a technical perspective, but it's you know, it's it's complicated from a you know understanding your concept, your customer, your problem perspective, right? So that is kind of like the first thing that you that you need to have there. Um, and the second one is that you need to be able to put it in front of potential customers, mm -hmm. right? And potential customers are not just customer development interviews, but they are people that would actually pay. And if you build that, they'll actually give you the money. But that's tough. Anyways, short story. Um, long story short, we essentially didn't validate until we just realized that we were going to run out of money and personal runway, right? Um, and then we were like, okay, so now what do we do, right? Like we need to, we need to figure something out here. Um, so, so yeah, um, I mean, that, that was the first part, right? Then when we started validating things, like now we literally start um, selling, tr trying to sell a product before it's even built, right? Because we know that we can build it quite quickly because we're really good at product. Um, and we'll actually validate it that way, right? So now you can see uh, on the platform things, uh, you know, are built on Airtable, right? Like before they're built to our database, right? Um, we try to do things like with the least amount of engineering resources as possible. Um, but yeah, so essentially kind of like for us, it was just kind of like hard, hard failures uh, over and over again all the time until we figured it out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was good though. Until you achieved the 
wonderful product market fit the category and then you know so yeah that's that's so cool though i like how you guys kept pushing <laughs> even because I, I was chatting to a guest yesterday you're gonna receive out of a hundred uh, answers you're gonna probably receive 99 no's <laughs> and then just the one yes and that can be a hard pill to swallow sometimes you know so that some people give up halfway through but you guys kept pushing so that, that that's really commendable and then um, so now you've talked a little bit about funding now <laughs> obviously it's bootstrapping you've talked ha have you guys gone past um bootstrapping is money coming in or have you got like an invest invest on board now so we initially kind of started by self-funding right i'm not sure like to me that's not bootstrapping right because mm. we did end up raising our pre-seed um so yeah so we did raise uh, oh, okay. venture venture capital okay um but yeah for 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 a long amount of time we were like literally living you know in london in like the cheapest place that we could find and like trying to scramble some tech together um so yeah but we we went through a period of self-funding and then uh we raised some capital and then now we're kind of like positioning ourselves to raise capital again and keep on growing the business that's so cool if you don't mind me asking how were you able to get the raise that capital was that through a lot of networking or how did that come about so we had no network hmm. um so we actually went on to a accelerator that helped us uh oh. quite a bit uh they they essentially like what what we realized is that when we went through the accelerator they helped us really nail our pitch and our value proposition and our story um so we kind of like that really helped us but we had no network um when we started our business right like we moved to the uk right i moved here when i was uh, 17 and i i knew nobody right like literally and uh, my co-founder is literally the same so we knew no high net worth individuals, no angel investors, no VCs, nothing. Mm. But we just grinded. Uh, we just grinded it out. Um, I think kind of like there's nothing like again. If you don't take no for an answer, like you get yes at some point. So mm. we just yeah, cold cold messaged so many angels, right? Like we we worked it backwards, right? I I, I always love this strategy, which is you say I want to close this date and I want to raise this much. Uh, my minimum ticket is X, right? This means I need this number of investors. And then you go backwards. If I need 10 investors, right? And 50% will see the data room, then I need 20 people uh, just before that, that, that process and so on and so on and so on. And you calculate how many meeting ones with investors you need, right? And then, you know, that number is normally like in the hundreds. So you kind of see that you just need to make sure that you have, if you have, hundreds of meeting ones, if you require hundreds of meeting ones, theoretically, you're going to require probably like multiple hundreds of outbounds, right? Or, yeah. or actually, you know, reaching out. So we took that and then we're just like, okay, it's going to be a grind. You have to do it the hard way. And uh, thankfully, um, thankfully, um, yeah, we managed to find some super cool investors, which believe in us and still do. So yeah, I'm, I'm very happy for that. Uh, that's wonderful, man. That helps when you have people that actually believe in. Obviously, they see the, they get keen to the vision, and then they see the potential, and that that must be very encouraging for you, like going forward. Yeah, awesome. Definitely. So, all right, for sure. All right, let, let's talk about launching now. How what was it like launching officially? <laughs> um, I really want to start launching um, and doing the continual continual launching. Right, like just launch repeatedly, right? Yeah. Like a lot of startups say, as a growth hack, it worked really well. Yeah. Uh, for us, we launched. Uh, we had no traction, and then 
we went through a very difficult period of uncertainty, uh, but then we did our pivot. And after our pivot, we had like, a, we did have an official launch day. Again, to us, it wasn't like, we're not the typical B2B or even B2C SaaS where people are super excited, right? We're not Notion 2.0, right? Mm. Like the truth is that when people talk to me, uh, GDPR is is not their most fun topic. Exciting things. Let's face it, you know, it's not the funnest of topics. So, yeah. so yeah. So uh, we didn't see much traction, but but we we I think one of the key things we did in our let's say our biggest recent launch, right, um, was that we really tried to push one single thing as a value proposition. Uh, which was a certificate, right? We'd say, mm. hey, you know, like here's a GDPR certificate. And actually, the reality is that there is no official GDPR certification in place. I'm going to put an air quote in that just in case it's an expert. There is, but I'm not going to go into it. Uh, but we kind of said, ah, by going through our SaaS, right? Like here's like your certificate, certificate of, of achievement. And that mm. was our hypothesis. People want to demonstrate compliance and this will give them the means to do so. Mm. The truth is like that, we couldn't be further away from the truth, but what we built to achieve that was exactly what people wanted or mm. what we started to see that people wanted, right? Mm. And that's what's taken down that path of like, oh, well, now we can start to sell this. Uh, we're making revenue. Now we need to figure out how to sell it in a way that is repeatable, right? Mm. Figure that, that out. But, you know, that, that to me, I think is like one of the best decisions that we've made in like the company was like coming up with that certificate concept because we we doubled down on it and we just realized that we found we luckily we found the problem to solve uh, mm. with you know what we build around that i really like <laughs> like the, you guys are pretty much uh, how do they say it? building the plane as you fly it kind of thing i don't know if you've come across the first <laughs> say yeah, before yeah, the, yeah. Uh, yeah i like that i like that because of you know and you know it it helps because then you're in the you're in the, on the battlefront, so you're seeing what's going wrong, what's going right, and you're adjusting as you go. I really like that. And it, it brings me to my next question, which is, the, obviously, you've said you've uh, talked about having a co-founder. One, it must help <laughs> working with somebody to help take off the load. Yeah. Could you just um, talk us through the dynamics between you and your founder? One, how did you guys meet? You talked about college, and uh, what, what, what roles do you guys play in the company? Yeah, so it's actually quite interesting because um, my co-founder and I just met kind of like we're just really good friends. Uh, mm. we, we were very good friends before we started our company. We still are super great friends. Um, and actually, currently, we kind of like live together as well as because that's another thing that we did. We moved in together to reduce kind of like the cost yeah. so that we could uh, make sure that, um, you know, we kept burn rate low and we could survive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like for those that want to do it without a co-founder, I think there's like a bunch of statistics out there that kind of like the, the most successful startups normally have two co-founders, three, four. It gets a bit, you know, it gets a bit uh, too much. Uh, there's actually more issues there. And one is is very, very difficult. I think like I have founder friends which are solo founders and I always ask them, you know, like you guys are like superheroes. Like, I don't know how I do it, right? Like. Because the truth is like, there's so much uncertainty when you're building the product, right? And when you're building the business and the sales and like, you at least need someone who's as crazy as you to kind of tell you, yes, that's correct, right? Or no, this is incorrect and this is why. Uh, but I always think that our superpower is that like, it's, it's actually quite funny when, because we are fully remote, but when we bring employees in, they get to witness 
uh, Manu and my um, discussions. And we're, we're both Spanish, so we're really passionate about the product and passionate people in general. So it looks like we're arguing, but we're never arguing. We're just discussing very passionately. But I think that the superpower is that we always, always, we've always been able to, you know, put a next action or a decision, right? So we'll never walk out of the room kind of like without making a decision or, mm. you know, some, an exaction to then make a decision uh, because that's to, to us, that's not a productive conversation. So kind of like, you know, we're, I think that's, that's our superpower that we're able to be really passionate about the product and, you know, use that passion, but without the egos. Um, mm. So yeah, it's, um, it's super fun. I mean, I, I know that Manu could do it without me a hundred percent. Right. Um, so, so yeah, uh, he's uh, super awesome. Interesting. Have the both of you developers as well, or is there somebody which is kind of like my next question? Marketing is it? I know how um, most companies that do work. One one is the CTO, one is the CMO kind of thing, and then they kind of vibe together like that. Is that a similar thing with yours? So uh, yeah, unfortunately, we're both technical uh, people. <laughs> one loves Star Wars more than the other, but. Um, yeah, but, but definitely kind of like, uh, we've, we've evolved to become, you know, different types of founders, uh, right? At the start, we, we were kind of like very, very much on the same profile side, but I think our, while, while our backgrounds are similar, our personalities are different, right? Mm. Uh, so Manu is a really good operator. He's really good at executing. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like more, I think long-term. So I think mm. that that's a very good kind of like unique perspective, right? When Manu approaches a problem, he's always like, well, to get there, we need to do this, right? And normally I go, well, to get there, we need to achieve that. And, you know, the step before is just this, right? And I think that like, that's a really good way to build, uh, you know, um, yeah, whatever it is that we're trying to, whatever mm. problem solution that we're, that we're looking for, it's a good way to build towards that solution. That is so cool. That is so cool. And it's such a good dynamic, like you said. So you, you guys must at least have that alignment in that uh, in that area. Very, very cool. And uh, in terms of marketing, which is the one that I enjoy the most, what has been your <laughs> what has been your most successful marketing uh, strategy? How did you find your first user and uh, what has worked for you going forward? So we found our first user, our first customer, actually mm. through our customer development process. So. Mm. Thankfully, like one of our founder friends, which we were as an accelerator with, introduced us to like a potential customer. We kind of went through customer development and they actually took the leap of faith to say, yes, you know, like we'd like to work with you guys. And that's how we found our, our first customer. Um, but to be honest, we haven't cracked the marketing equation just yet, mm. right? We've tried a bunch of things. Um, the thing is like marketing uh, is very difficult when you don't know who your ICP is. Um, and ask, we've yeah. spent kind of like uh, most of like 2022 figuring that out, right? So kind of like that was kind of like our proposition when we fundraise is like, okay, our idea is to figure out how to sell this and who mm. to sell this to, right? And it just so happens that we found that uh, that path through founder-led sales rather than through typical marketing acquisition channels like paid ads and so on. So we tried that and uh, we have a like a backlog of growth ideas that we want to execute, but we realize that we have too much on the plate at the moment to be able to execute those growth strategies. Uh, but, you know, take it for sure that once we, uh, we have more resources, like we'll start executing those experiments over and over again because... That's, that's, to be honest, that's kind of like, to me, that's the only way forward, right? Just completely iterating over a number of growth experiments. And there's no shortage of growth experiments out there, right? Mm. There's 
you know, thousands of blog posts that will speak about, you know, Airbnb founder went to take pictures himself, right? And then there's like a bunch of, of things like that that don't scale. And yeah. I'm all for doing things that don't scale first, just to, yeah. just because you get all the insights, right? Yeah. I agree. And uh, I was chatting to a fellow guest, uh, guest about exactly that, where you start off with the small, you know, the ones that don't scale. And then once the resources come in, then you can now scale whatever you do, maybe do more ads or something like that. Very interesting. You're spot on about the ICP thing, which is your ideal customer profile, you know, is one of the most difficult things to <laughs> figure out, you know, and, uh, but you, you talked about SMEs, uh, small, small, medium kill. Has that, have you found that worked or have you found them more, um, have found it more appealing to uh, using your product? So I think kind of like it's, it's gone through a lot of iterations, but we kind of figured out that, for example, regulated industries, right, have much more like let's say a positive sentiment towards complying with data protection regulation. Um, because for example, a FinTech already has to deal with like FCA compliance here in the mm. UK, the UK financial um, regulator. So they're kind of like already keen to that process. Whereas for example, let's say like a, uh, like a clothing store, like an e-commerce clothing store uh, may experience data protection from another lens, right? Which is from the lens of the person making a request, right? Mm. So it's very fundamentally different kind of ways of seeing data protection. So it's this kind of learnings that have helped us kind of like identify the market, right? This is, is massive, but we want to identify exactly who we want to target first. Because I think, you know, if, if we were to extrapolate, it's true that every single SME could use our platform. And that's like a blessing in disguise uh, because, right, like you you kind of want to make sure that you can serve all of them. But if you try to serve all of them, you'll serve nobody, right? So for us, it's more like we've now been able to figure out, let's say, we now need to focus down, right, and solve one problem, this one problem for this one person, right, and hope that three others have it. And then let's, let's solve that over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then we can start kind of like getting more of like what I say, it's not bad customers, but it's like worse qualified customers, right? Mm. So, so yeah, so we definitely got some customers that, um, yeah, that fit the product better, others not, right? Mm. And you start to see that, um, well, you have your hypothesis from the start, but, you know, more towards kind of like the time, right? And that's one of the other things about growth that I like and dislike, and it's like, sometimes the experiments are too short-lived, right? Like, mm. okay, you can do a growth hack and um, acquire 20 new customers from yeah. that, right? Um, but you don't know if those customers are going to churn next month, mm. right? Or in five years, right? Um, so that's kind of like also the other side of the coin to me. It's like, I, I, I like the approach that we've taken, which I don't think is the best, but it's one that has worked for us, where, you know, we've been able to balance the acquisition of new customers, the, you know, making sure that we follow the the process for those customers to see if the value is the same throughout all, all the kind of like engagement and so on. So that's something to take into consideration, which I've seen in a lot of places that it's kind of like not, not um, talked about. It's only about the acquisition part, right? And then the rest is like a problem for, you know, I don't know, customer success or whatever it is. But the truth is that for your company, everything is important, right? The whole life, life, um, lifespan of the customer. Makes sense. Makes sense. And it will be fun watching you guys uh, develop this as you go forward with this. And Alex, we've come to the end of an awesome chat, you know, and it's been very, you've given us a very insightful 
look into privacy and what you guys do. Uh, I always like to finish every interview. If you could uh, give a founder who's just maybe one or two steps behind you and uh, maybe at that bootstrapping stage in their college bedroom, I don't know. <laughs> What would your what would what would you what would your uh, one tip be to that person? Double your price, huh. um, and see if people still buy. If people buy, but complain, so complain but buy, don't change the price. If people huh. complain but don't buy, go halfway, right? Huh. Um, so you double and then you go halfway. So you're one point five x. The truth is that what sometimes I've seen in SaaS, right, is that as founders, we want to solve a problem and we want to make it work, mm. but we're scared to ask for the money. But mm. depends on the type of company, you know, it's, I'm going to make it up here. Um, our, our platform fees start at around 120 pounds, 140 euro, right? We have a couple of plans, but that's where they start. But imagine like for a company, right, depending on the size of the company, that is nothing, right? Mm. And they maybe their budget allocated is 10 times that, right? Mm. But you don't know. So until you don't ask, right? Mm. You don't know. It's always easy to go down. You can always offer a discount. But what you can't do is you cannot put the price up, right? Like that's that's like a mental barrier for any human, right? So so yeah, I think our best learnings have come from doubling our price. And that's a very scary thing to, to do. Um, one of the ways that we mitigate that is don't double your price for existing customers, double mm. the price for the new customers. Um, and then you can uh, make, you, you you can potentially even add more value to your customers by being, hey, look, we've actually doubled our prices, but we value you so much that we will not do so for you because you believed in us from the start, right? So yeah, that's, I think, my tip for uh, any founder that's uh, just a couple of steps um, before. I like that. I love that. Very practical. Very, very practical. Very relevant as well. Just one thing on that, though. If you increase for new customers yeah, and uh, keep saying for old customers, do you inter would you uh, advise increasing for the old customers at some stage or are you going to keep them at that price forever? It's a good question. I think it yeah. really depends on the business, right? Yeah. I think that like... It depends, right? Like this, you see this at later stages in the business happen, right? Companies start giving uh, startup plans and credits and so on, and mm. then they wipe them. It, I think it's more of a strategic, like to me, I, if if, it, if you can, don't, don't increase the price, depending on who your customers are. Always, you know, if you don't increase the price, I think that you have the opportunity to upsell them mm. um, and you can do the same again, right? So if, if you build a new feature, right? And you're trying to set it as a price that doesn't work, you can try to sell it, you know, at the new price to the to the to the people that you didn't raise the price from, and you can make them go up that price to the original price of the subscription, and then you can be like, "Hey, I'm gonna give you more value. You're just paying, you know." And then that's that's more data that you can gather quicker about you know where the value kind of like for the new upsell that you're building is. So I would definitely say, don't try to increase the, the the price, perhaps try to add more value and make mm. that justify an upsell, right? Like that would be my strategy, but I am not a pricing guru and I'm far from that. So that's just from my experience. Makes sense. It makes sense. And it's, it would definitely be more appealing to them anyway. Alex, you've been wonderful, man. Where, where can I, our viewers go and learn more about you and possibly work with you? What's the best way for them to do that? Uh, for sure, just uh, I'm Alex Frank Tapia on LinkedIn, uh, or you can find my company at privacy.io. Um, 
So yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, you basically have us on speed dial if you open a uh, live chat because uh, uh, we pride ourselves on being super quick to reply and having awesome customer support. So um, so yeah, just uh, find me there um, if, if you need any help with your data protection or anything else. Any, anything found, founder to founder, I'm always happy to always help if I can. Brilliant. It's, it's always brilliant when uh, one thing I notice is that founders are very open to helping out other founders. So I really love that about this whole startup community and everything. Alex, thank you so much, man. You've been awesome. It's my pleasure, uh, Xavi. And uh, yeah, have a great day and thank you so much for your time.